Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of I Know Why the Nick Caged Bird Sings. The podcast where we watch, recap, and review every Nicolas Cage movie in chronological order so that you don't have to. I'm your host. My name is Steve. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Hannah Martin. Hannah. How are you doing this week? The breath you took before you said, I'm your host, got me. This... I'm your host. Oh, God. Uh... I'm just getting, you know, a little fatigued. You say the same thing every time. I know. That's why I tried to add a little bit of a different inflection. I'm your host. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I'm fine. Oh, a good. little disturbed by this movie. Yeah, so this week we watched a really weird movie called 8mm or 8mm. That's how you're supposed to pronounce it. But the, the movie title is just 8mm. And the movie, in very brief detail, is about a private investigator, by, played by Nicolas Cage, who goes on the hunt for a the people behind a snuff film, meaning a film that shows a person getting murdered. So... That's about it. 1999 is the year. Uh, that's about as much detail as I want to get into right now. So the other thing that we like to talk about right up at the top is the overall ratings of the movie. So I think Hannah usually pulls that up. Yes, sir. I think we talked about it last week, and it's really lowly rated. It's not a very highly rated movie. Surprisingly low. Mm-hmm. So on IMDb, it's a 6.5 out of 10, and then it's a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, so 6.5 kind of puts it towards the middle of the pack of some of these movies that we've seen so far. But 22 puts it at the lower end, which is kind of shocking. Like, it puts it on par with, like, a Firebirds. And I thought, personally, that this movie was a lot better than a Firebirds. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Please. You should see Hannah's face. She's, like, disgusted, <laughs> disgusted. that I would even, even compare the two. consider that. <laughs> just kidding so uh our first segment of the show really is going to be hannah's segment where she is going to relay a story or two maybe behind the scenes maybe where Nicolas cage is at in his life it's almost y2k it's 1999 so what have you got for us Han? yes it is the turn of the century and Nicolas cage is still in his prime he's still in his golden cage we're calling it or have we decided that he's left the golden cage i don't know the first movie so the golden cage is at least officially leaving las vegas uh i forget the the order but the rock con air face off those four are incredible for very different reasons Mm -hmm. but i think the city of angels comes right after face off that's what i was gonna Mm, say yeah, yeah he may have screwed the pooch with that one that movie was just so nothing (laughs) Go back and listen to our episode if you're curious about it. A lot of great music from that movie, but mm-hmm. not cagey in the no, slightest. not at all. These are, those are our least favorite types of movies. Because yes. for the sake of this podcast, the content that comes out of it is never as funny. Yeah. So this movie as well, Nick plays somewhat of a straight character, I would say. Mild-mannered. He, he screams yeah. more in this than he has in the past couple movies that we've seen. That's true. So at least that was enjoyable for us. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, not much else was enjoyable for me. It was very disturbing. Like this movie was very graphic, very hard to get through. As Steve said, it's about a snuff film. And we recently watched um, Don't Fuck With Cats on Netflix. And that really disturbed me. So this was a bit reminiscent of that. Definitely not something, I mean, I know you asked me at the end of the podcast, but I'll just tell you now, like, not something I ever want to watch again. No. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, but I've do, I've do. <laughs> I've do. I've <laughs> do. Me do got. <laughs> I have, uh, some stories to share from behind the scenes and then also something going on in Nick's life in 1999. Ooh, please share. So he makes Bringing Out the Dead. That's the next movie we have to watch. That's yeah, next also week. 1999 because as you know, the grind never fucking stops for Nick Cage. He makes like <laughs> three movies a year. <laughs> but there is an article in I think like the New York Times or something, Rolling Stone actually, where he's interviewed and it's a really good article, but it's mostly about bringing out the dead. And they also interview Martin Scorsese, who's the director of bringing out the dead and Martin Scorsese talks about Nick Cage. So I don't really want to, I don't want to take anything away from that article. So we'll skip that 
and save that for next week. Perfect. Which unfortunately means I don't have too much about Nick. Okay. But I do have a little bit more about the movie itself and other actors. Interesting. So the first thing I will say is the original title of this movie was supposed to be Sexy World. That's a way worse title. Mm. I thought 8mm was a bad title for a movie, Mm. especially as it's written as just Mm 8mm. But Sexy World is way worse. Horrible. (laughs) Awful. So Sexy World. The writer of the script is the same writer as the movie Seven. Oh, same writer. Same writer. So his name is Andrew Kevin Walker, the Mm. screenwriter. And when I was going through some of... So like right after we watched this movie, Steve and I looked to each other and we're like, I mean, we didn't enjoy this movie, but I wouldn't rate it a 22%. No, absolutely not. And to this day now, much like many of Nick Cage's early films, they now have a cult following. So 8mm has a cult following, which I assume is why they made a sequel to this movie, 8mm 2 in 2005 or something, Jesus, which Steve actually saw. Yeah, I relayed the story at the end of the podcast last week, but a buddy of mine, we would always come home from school every day and just watch the most random weird movie we could find on demand that was free. And so I've seen 8mm 2, but Nick is not in that movie. He's not in it. And also 2005 seems a little early for the the crew of people who follow Nick Cage and would consider something to be a cult classic. Do you know what mm, I mean? Yeah. I feel like that probably came about with with the internet more yeah. so. Like yeah. when Never on Tuesday was discovered, things like that. <laughs> right, right. So with the, I guess, the internet, this movie has been, there's been some resurgence of this movie and mm. people appreciate it. The film critic Roger Ebert actually mm-hmm. really liked this movie. Which is um, surprising. I feel like he doesn't like anything. Every other critic hated this movie. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. So they say that the problem with the movie wasn't the script, wasn't the screenwriter, but it was the director. Hmm. So it was directed by this guy, Joel Schumacher, who only two years earlier directed a movie called Batman and Robin. Yes. Which I figured you knew all about i do it has an 11 percent on rotten tomatoes so it sounds like some hot fire garbage yeah (laughs) there are some incredible bits in 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 schumacher's batman movies so basically doesn't batman have like nipples or something if it's the Clooney one then yeah batman has batman and robin batman and robin 97 Uh, i think that's Clooney. but so he took over for Tim Burton. So Tim Burton did the first two Batman movies. Oh, my God. And then Tim Burton was also going to do that Superman movie. Right. Okay. And, All right. And Tim Burton. Fascinating. And, and, you know, a lot of people will say that the Schumacher Batman movies are fun for what they are. But it was like he pulled out like a Batman credit card when he he was like Batman, dressed as Batman. And they were like, you need to pay for that, sir. And he'd be like. Do you take a oh, charge? Ew. And it was like a All Batman right, credit card. There's none that like corny and, level yeah, in this movie. <laughs> but so speaking to, I mean, that's script and that's in the writing. But yeah. but speaking to his directing, uh, there was a clip that a buddy of mine sent around uh, maybe a year or two ago from that movie where Robin's drowning or something, right? Mm-hmm. And so instead of keeping the camera on Robin, Chris O'Donnell, who plays him, he like you know and show him drowning he just pops his head up out of the water and then they play that in forward and reverse like two three times in a row rather than right so like chris o'donnell is under the water and comes up out of the water and then they just reverse that footage like that game like (laughs) whack-a-mole kind of i mean like he's it's to show him like struggling and drowning so it's not like the quick pop up and down okay but it's like very clearly the same it's the same footage that's so stupid right so it's bad directing yeah yeah oh yikes joel but i don't think that this movie was that poorly directed i didn't notice anything i'll i'll talk a little bit more about that please so the studio i think this was done by sony and columbia and Actually, Roger Ebert's um, review of it said that if this was an indie movie and it didn't have Nick Cage or something, people probably would have liked it better. Or they would have like, they probably would have um, had more respect, I think, for it. But because it was done by a big studio and had a big name in it, people Mm. were more like willing to critique it. They expected more. Yeah. Okay. 
so the studio wanted this writer to tone it down because apparently it was like incredibly graphic and disturbing. Even more so than what yeah, we saw. But wow. so like I said, this this writer is the same writer that wrote the screenplay for the movie Seven. Right. Which Steve was talking to me earlier about. It's about like killing people with the seven deadly sins. Yeah, Hannah's Hannah's never seen it, I'm, and I, it, yeah. I'll spare I feel the like details every, here. Every but. week, it's like, oh, Hannah, have you seen this movie? I was like, no, I haven't. I'm, <laughs> and then someone asked me the other day. They were like, why are you doing this podcast? Are you like a movie buff or something? I'm like, no, no. I just really hate Nicolas Cage. But that's, <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of what gives you an interesting and kind of fresh perspective, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. That you're not a big movie buff. Like, so what's an average moviegoer think of these movies? Right. Right, right, right. For and sure. this actor. <laughs> so anyway, the studio wanted this screenwriter to tone it down a bit. So they hired Joel Schumacher, this director. Mm-hmm. And the two absolutely hated each other. And the screenwriter left the set. Oh, okay. So I guess anything that had to do with the writer's intention for the movie was lost in mm. translation because this this guy decided <laughs> Schumacher. Schumacher decided to take it a different direction. Hmm. So that's that. I mean, people have various reasons as to why they don't like the movie. I'm just going to let you, if you really want to watch this movie, let us know what you think. Yeah. Like we said, you know, it wasn't as bad as a 22%. Definitely not. It wasn't great it was very long and it dragged at moments but i mean i don't know like i wouldn't say that it was a bad movie by no no if you know it's perfect for at the time let's say the year is 1999 2000 and you go to your blockbuster video and you're like yeah well nicholas cage all right right." at this point he's an academy award winner let's check out this movie you'd be like oh well it was a decent movie if that was your only option right There's so many other options. I wouldn't highly recommend watching this movie. But if you find yourself somehow watching this movie, it's not that bad. No, it's not. It's just disturbing. Yeah, (laughs) it is a little disturbing. A little. (laughs) (laughs) All right. More about the movie. Mm. So it had a budget of $40 million, which is one of the lowest budgets we've seen in a while. Yeah, that's true. I remember when we were looking at those action movies, they were like $200 million. That's true. And obviously there's like no explosions in this movie like there were There were the a few ones. moments where we, we thought a few <laughs> things might explode. There were some fires and we were like, yeah. all right, is the building going to blow up? <laughs> PTSD from all those action movies we right. just saw. So it, um, in the box office, had a gross earning of $96 million. So right. it doubled. Yeah, so it made its money back Mm -hmm. a little bit, yeah. Let's see. So in addition, I also will usually look up who the other actors were that were considered for the part. Okay, yeah. Um, Russell Crowe was offered the lead role, and then Nicolas Cage's agent called and said that Nick was interested. So the director decided to go with Nick because he had a bigger name at the time, Hmm. and he thought that it would make more money with it. Um, but apparently before Russell Crowe was offered the lead, Bruce Willis was also offered the lead. Mm. And then there's another character in the movie that's played by Joaquin Phoenix and Mark Wahlberg was originally offered that role and he turned it down. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. I want to know, is this movie before or after? Oh, it's at the same time as The Sixth Sense. So oh. I don't know if maybe Bruce Willis didn't do it and instead wanted to do The Sixth Sense. I mean, that obviously was a better That was choice, a better choice. Choice for him. <laughs> okay. So let's get to the stuff about Nick because That's what you're here for. That's why that's why we're here. <laughs> I know I said before I hate Nick. I don't really hate Nick. Um I'm growing to tolerate Nick. <laughs> By the end of this, she's gonna be the world's biggest Nicolas Cage oh, fan. Jesus. Okay, well first I will say that Nick in a few movies in the past has been um, a bit of a diva on set. Oh, yeah. And has issues with the temperature all the time. Really? It's always too cold, always too hot. Remember the water and um, the rock oh. was too cold. So then they made it like 95 90 degrees. degrees and then bacteria started yeah. growing in the water and everyone yeah. got sick. Yeah. <laughs> so there's apparently a scene in 
filmed in New York City that um, the rain, like the fake rain that they had on him, mm-hmm. apparently was so cold that he was, quote unquote, turning into an icicle and he needed to stop filming. Jesus. So it's just, oh, I mean, yeah. he's every, everyone in Hollywood is like this. Like yeah. everyone complains. And I've heard it explained before. And I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but I've heard, you know, uh, writers, actors, producers, what have you, directors, they say that, look, at the end of the day, it's the, my job. The the actor is the person who has to give their performance. Yeah. You know, there's all true. these other people on set, but at the end of the day, it's the actor who has to give the performance. So that's why you kind of baby them and you give them everything that they want because you want them in the, the right headspace. that people see. Exactly. So Especially people like us who aren't, I mean, you are a little bit more than I am of a quote unquote movie buff, but we don't understand mm-hmm. things like cinematography because right. we recently learned about what that was <laughs> and we don't understand, you know anything about film itself we when we watch a movie we we get most out of the actors right and yeah I think that's like what the lay yeah. person quote unquote, yeah and that's what people are paying get. for yeah yeah for sure especially yeah. in like a movie like this they hired him because he's a big name yeah so you have a few successful movies in a row that are successful because of this actor so you give them everything they want they start expecting everything that they want mm. and that's i think that's, that's slippery slope <laughs> exactly <laughs> and that led him to some very interesting purchases that we are very excited to share with you but that won't be for a while oh yeah it won't okay. be for a while okay he is still financially in good shape he is married everything is going swimmingly in his love life but Nice segue here. Okay. Um, not so much in his friendships. Mm. So uh, Nicolas Cage is was really good friends with Sean Penn. Yeah, a few movies together. A few movies together. Um, so this article came out in 1999, and it's from E! News, and the title of the article is Cage Writes Off Penn. Ooh. So it says, it's not one of those interpersonal issues many of us experience. What do you do if a friend insults you in a national magazine? Oh. For Nicolas Cage... Who hasn't taken kindly to comments that his buddy, make that ex-buddy, that's what it says, Sean Penn made in a recent interview, and the answer is apparently to end the friendship. Cage said, the door to our friendship is now closed. Oh boy. In this business, you get enough negativity from the press without having your friends dump on you in public. So what did Penn say to hurt him? Yeah. So Penn said, I just saw Nick Cage's Snake Eyes movie last night. Oh boy. It's not just that movie, it's most movies. As damaged as I am, as reckless as I've been, I've never murdered my own voice. I think actors shit on their profession all the time. They can't do a pure movie again because they carry so much baggage. And then also in December, Sean Penn told New York Times Magazine that Nick Cage is not an actor. He could be again, but now he's more a performer. Oh, so Sean Penn is shitting on him because he does action movies. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it he was... He just won the Academy was, Award like two years ago. So it was this jab that Nick Cage says coming a day after Sean Penn visited him and his wife Patricia Arquette on the set of his upcoming movie, Bringing Out the Dead, Bringing Out the Dead that annoyed him the most. Hmm. He was saying that he pretended to be our best friend. We all went out for drinks and supper, and he kept calling us family. And then the next day, he stabs me, stabs me in the back. Huh. So they are not friends anymore. Huh. I want to know about Sean Penn and see if he's won an Academy Award. I, I think mean, he has. He's won two. Yeah. For Milk and for Mystic River, not until the early to mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. So he's just jealous. Um, he's got to be. Sorry. Sean Penn is a way better actor than He's Nicholas a way better Cage. actor. He has nothing to be jealous of. But at the time, he has something to be jealous of, which yeah. is an Academy Award. Fine. For leaving Las Vegas. And then Nick Cage decided to... But how many other actors have Academy Awards? I mean, he has plenty of people to be jealous of. Well, at the time, Sean Penn didn't. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) I don't know. For him to say that in the media, though, like, that's that's pretty low. No, I agree with you. Like, actors should have some type of code of conduct. Yeah. (laughs) They usually do. You don't really hear too often about actors slamming each other. Well, yeah, because then that restricts the types of roles they can get. What yeah. if somebody wanted to write a movie for Sean Penn and Nicolas Cage? Yeah. And now it's like, okay, well... Well, they won't I'm, get along. I don't want to deal with that drama on set. Right, because they came out and said all these things. Well, I really want Sean Penn, and we'll just get a Nicolas Cage type, so Nicolas Cage is out of a job. Or vice versa. Nicolas Cage, we really want Nicolas Cage for this role, but... And we really wanted Sean Penn, but he doesn't like him. So we'll get somebody who's like Sean Penn and Sean Penn is out of a job mm-hmm. in an industry that's pretty 
difficult to find work. Yeah. So. There's only so many movies made and exactly. there's so many actors. Especially at this time. Right. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. So I'll leave you with that. Okay. All right. Well, we want to jump into the movie then? Yeah, I've got a few things to pepper in. Okay, great. Well, I so what we usually do is I go through the movie Nick Cage scene by Nick Cage scene. That's our next segment here. But the whole first half of this movie is useless. Honestly, it, just describe the plot, and that's, yeah, and, we and then we'll just jump to like into the major. The the, yeah, and I highlighted a few things in my notes that I might want to bring up. But so basically, we find out that Nicolas Cage is a private investigator. He's kind of used to traveling all around the country, and suddenly he gets a call from this old biddy who lives <laughs> in his neighborhood, I guess, which is Harrisburg, Central Pennsylvania. And, Shout out, PA. Uh, yeah, let's go, PA. Woohoo! <laughs> Pennsylvania Turnpike. What up? What up? What up, PA Turnpike? <laughs> um, so he gets a call from this old biddy who she's sitting there in her house with her lawyer, and she says, "My husband recently died. We cracked open his safe. We found, you know, money and some stocks and things like that. But we also found this eight millimeter tape. Dun dun dun. dun. And he's like, okay, what's on the tape? And they say, well, it's a snuff film. It's a film about a, a man basically raping a woman and then killing her. So that woman mm-hmm. is played by a girl named Jenny Powell. Okay. Who originally was hired to be a stand-in because she is a stripper. Oh. So she's a stripper. She was going to be a stand-in for one of the strip club scenes. Okay. But then the weird director, Schumacher, Schumacher saw her face and thought... Hmm, how haunting this girl would look on 8mm film. We're going to make her the victim. (laughs) Fucking artists, man. (laughs) Fucking artists. Honestly, so there are a few scenes that I probably won't be able to call out specifically, but she narrates over the top of it because Nick Cage finds like letters and stuff. Voice. Or maybe it is because whoever because it is is the worst actor. It's the ever. worst voice. It's a terrible <laughs> we have, voice. We never we haven't talked about that yet. What? I'm surprised that you and I like didn't oh, like, say in something real life. in the middle of the movie. We yeah. were like, what the fuck? Like, it's just so this girl? it's so deadpan. It's like, Mom, I am writing you to tell you that I will be going away. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, Christ. Maybe it was her then. <laughs> so Nick Cage watches the film, and it's kind of like at this point where Hannah and I are like, okay, well, why did they call a private investigator and not the cops? And they were like, well, because it would be a publicity scene. And it's like, well, he's dead. The, the guy's dead, whoever had the video. And it's like, why not call a film specialist? But, I mean, I guess that's explained later, but still. Nick Cage watches the movie. He has a few winces and things that i i thought at the time this is the beginning of the movie and i thought it was kind of funny because i didn't know how gruesome this movie gets so i'm oh, like yeah. writing down like oh, 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 look at his funny face not knowing <laughs> little did you know. little did i know so he i don't know he takes the video and he goes to cleveland he goes to north carolina he he eventually tracks down where the girl is from which is north carolina he he speaks to her mother he finds the letter which is inexplicably in a toilet that yeah, in like a plastic <laughs> bag in a toilet. <laughs> like he's like uh maybe the cops missed something also it's been how many years oh it's been like six or seven years yeah yeah, the, yeah. So they established that in, in like this montage that takes an hour. What I summarized in a sentence takes full a full hour. hour. We look because we looked. Yeah. We're like how much is left? We're like, there's Christ. Half the movie still. <laughs> an hour. So he goes. Uh, he goes all over the place. Cleveland, North Carolina. In the letter, ultimately says, "I'm gonna try to make it as an actress in Hollywood." So he goes out to Hollywood, right? Also, her boyfriend is played by Walking Dead's Norman Reedus, makes a surprise cameo. A a very young Norman Reedus, Mm -hmm. yeah. And Nick Cage is just a dick to him for no reason. Yep. That's fun. Uh, Throughout this whole time, he's calling the old biddy on the phone. And And his wife. And his wife. And they have a cute little baby. Oh, the baby is really adorable. I think I know who wins Best Supporting Actor. Little baby. (laughs) (laughs) His wife is uh, played by Catherine Keener. Uh, of 40 year old virgin and get out, get out fame. the mom from get out yeah so she among other things i'm sure but that's just what we know her from so he makes his way to hollywood and he he's kind of running out of options so he goes to various pornography and adult stores to kind of see where he can buy more of these snuff type films and runs into joaquin phoenix 
who works at one of these stores and he's Joaquin Phoenix is this really knowledgeable, well-connected guy. So they have a quick conversation and that's how they meet because Joaquin Phoenix plays a bigger role throughout the rest of the movie. So he's watching the movie, finds out that it's not just the guy with the camera and the guy in the film and the girl, there's other people standing in the background. So he knows that there's kind of a big conspiracy. As we learned from last week, five people makes it a conspiracy. (laughs) So he, uh, enlicits the help of Joaquin Phoenix. He's like, look, I don't know this world and you do. So here, why don't you take my number and I'm going to and call me whenever you come up with something. And Hannah goes like, he didn't write anything down. He rips off a piece of paper and like pretends to write something. And like he just like wrote he writes nothing. one number. Yeah. Like, let me give you my number. And then he writes nine. Six. And then <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so uh, let's see. So they, Joaquin Phoenix takes them all around town to all these kind of underground adult stores and porn shops where you can, you know, buy all types of gross things. And there are some random screams because Nick Cage keeps asking to buy snuff films from people. He's trying to figure out the source of this original video and nobody will tell him people freak out at him. So there are come kind of some various screams. I don't think I'm going to put them in here because they're not worth it. No. Not at this point. They're watching a few videos at Joaquin Phoenix's place. We also at some point find out that this victim, the original girl, lived for a month in a monastery. I don't know why. I don't know where that came from or why he didn't start there because he found a bunch of phone numbers. Right. Which led him to James Gandolfini, who is better known as Tony Soprano. Hey. Yeah. So R.I.P. Ah, yeah, oh, yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. Great actor. He's... He's really good in this movie. I he think is. both Joaquin Phoenix and James Gandolfini are both really good in this movie. I have a fun fact about James Gandolfini's desk. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the next scene as he tracks down, based off the phone numbers, James Gandolfini, who runs like a uh, like a casting agency for women in adult films. Right. Let's put it he that way. He probably doesn't advertise it that way to the women, though. Yeah, he's like, hey, I can get you into movies or something. Right. I think they even say that later. Yeah. Hey, you're going to be a movie star. You just have to do this one adult film first. Right. Yeah. And I think this movie also kind of highlights that whole, I don't know, like. Yeah. Industry? Well, the industry, but also how they take advantage of. of oh, sure. Of both, you know, young men and women. Because like he, uh, whatever, Joaquin Phoenix was saying that he went out there with the promise of starting a band or something something, yeah then here he is working in porn right (laughs) not actually working in porn but selling porn a couple of actors well-known actors got their start in porn uh, sylvester stallone no way yeah the italian stallion oh my god uh cameron diaz that doesn't surprise (laughs) (laughs) softcore stuff but still yeah so his desk yeah, what about his desk? I don't, yeah, what's so interesting about that? There's a um, an Academy Award on his desk. Is it really? Yeah. Is it Nick's? <laughs> it is Nick's Real Actual? Academy Award. That's from hilarious. Las Vegas. I didn't even notice that. Me neither. So it was so worth it to include in the movie. Yeah. Hey. A little Easter egg. Bring this prized possession to set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so James Gandolfini can slobber all over it. Right. <laughs> he hey, does. Nick, you forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, le- you left this thing hey, here. Hey, Nick, you left this here. Do you want it? <laughs> So he reali- Nicholas Cage realizes fairly quickly that James Gandolfini is involved. He shows him the picture of the girl and is like, hey, you know, have you seen her? And he's all sus- suspense. Bleh. Oh, goodness. He's, he's all <laughs> suspenseful. No, suspect, suspecting, sus- suspectful. What are we trying to talk about? I don't know. James Gandolfini. Suspicious. I- <laughs> suspicious. Holy shit. I just wrote sus in my notes. I might leave this in because that's hilarious. <laughs> so James Gandolfini is obviously suspicious. So Nicolas Cage rents the room across the street so that he can look through binoculars. And he even wiretaps James Gandolfini's phone. So he's paying attention. He's listening in. He eventually baits Gandolfini by calling him and saying, I know all about the girl from six years ago. I know all about her and you're fucked. And James Gandolfini immediately calls somebody of course, Joaquin Phoenix knows who he's talking about, and it's some guy based in New York City. So they all fly to New York City, and they find this guy. They they sit down with this guy, and he's one of those guys. He's one of those, that guy from that thing, the actor. You know what I mean? I, have you seen this guy before? The character's name is Dino, so I'll just call him Dino. But... No, I looked at his name, and it didn't look familiar, yeah. and then I didn't feel like looking up what else he's been That's in because it doesn't matter. But he plays like a Russian mafia guy in other things i feel like so he's like this russian 
porn producer in New York City. So their plan is that Joaquin Phoenix and Nicolas Cage, they're like, we want to commission a film and we want you to do it exactly like this original film. They don't actually say that, but they say, we want you to use all the same actors, for example. And specifically the man who killed the girl. Exactly. Yeah. So they they're calling tr- the machine. The machine. Yes. Thank you. So the only real thing that the only real scene worth talking about is the next scene, which is this guy says, okay, great. Meet me here at this time. And it's basically a warehouse. And Nicolas Cage walks over to the warehouse. He sees the machine. He's wearing a mask. So he never knows the identity of the machine. And he sees this Russian guy with a crossbow. <laughs> He's just shooting a crossbow. And he goes, uh, hey, where are the girls? And they're like, ah, they'll be here shortly. And then James Gandolfini shows up. And he's like, oh, no, what's going on? And then the old biddy's lawyer shows up. Plot twist of the century, honestly. Absolutely. So they handcuff Nicolas Cage. And we're like, holy shit, what's going on? It's an inside job. Yeah, and they're like, bring us that film. You know, we're going to destroy that film. And we've got insurance. And they pull out uh, Joaquin Phoenix, who's also handcuffed. He's got his mouth taped. And he's all beat to shit. And Hannah and I just look at each other and like, well, if they wanted the film, the lawyer had it in his hands. Right. The lawyer gave it to Nicholas. Why not just be like, hey, I'll find the, just give me the tape, yeah. old, old lady. Old lady. I'll I'll give it to Nick. Yeah. I've, oh, I, I've got a private investigator yeah. working on it. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's why people don't like this. I guess, yeah. Maybe pretty... that's one of the things that the director changed. Oh, maybe. And the writer was like, hey, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You have to change that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know why, but they they ultimately get the tape and burn it. And they get the tape because it's out in Nicolas Cage's car. So, the lawyer is dragging Nicolas Cage out to his car. He's got him at gunpoint, and he's monologuing like a supervillain, telling him the whole plan, telling yeah. him everything that we've spoken about already to this point. And I love when they do that for you. Yeah, it, it always <laughs> reminds me of The Incredibles, where, you know, like, the, the villain in The Incredibles goes, you son of a bitch, you caught me monologuing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they totally like in, like, every it. Scooby-Doo episode that kind of happens, oh, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally. <laughs> And so, you know, when Nicolas Cage is, is with the lawyer out by the car is where we get our first couple of great screams. And he's just saying things like, I'm trying to understand. What the fuck did he want with a snuff belt? You're asking me why? Yes, why? Why? And a lot of things like that, of course, just in that scene. It's fantastic. <laughs> good, good. Uh, the first good scream. And I was worried that we weren't going to get any screams, me honestly. Too. So... Especially because the first half of the movie was slow. Yeah. Keep in mind, we're an hour and a half into this movie at this point, And we're 30 minutes into the podcast. Right. <laughs> so they retie up Nicolas Cage. And they're like, well, we don't have any need for this guy anymore. And they slit Joaquin Phoenix's throat in front of him. And yeah. of course, he's freaking out. Maybe even some more screams. And they're just beating up Nick Cage. And Nick Cage has another great scream where he calls them... Small time motherfuckers. Love that one. <laughs> Love that one. Here it is. Small time motherfucker. Lord knows Why are you all still small time with a million dollars to spread around? Yeah. That's what Christian gave Longdale. That's what he gave you, right? A million in cash? Stupid fucking trend. So... Nick Cage ultimately tells them that, like, hey, I looked into the banking records, so did you each get a million dollars, or did the lawyer only get a million dollars? And then... It was really instigating. Yeah, the machine, James Gandolfini, and that other Russian guy, Dino, all kind of turn on the lawyer. Like, what you mean, boy? Yeah. Gunshots start firing. The crossbow starts firing. <laughs> Nick Cage is making crazy... There's cra- knives, yeah, guns, yeah. crossbows. Yeah. Nick Cage is making crazy faces as he's, like, reaching desperately for his gun and a knife. And he ultimately has a shootout with James Gandolfini, who's the only one left. And he, as well, he stabs the machine in the stomach. He's kind of like a bigger guy. He stabs him in the in the gut. He's able to run away. Uh, actually, he has another great scream when he t- when he stabs the machine, and it's just one of those. Take off the fucking mask! Oh yeah, yeah. So he's in the car. He's he's 
peeled out. He's driving away. He's calling his wife. Another great set of screams where it's just, I'm on my way. Go now. Please, Amy, just do it. And he tells his wife, go to the place where we spent 4th of July in case his phone is being wiretapped as well. Mm -hmm. And he goes to like this cabin or something, which is great. And he gets there and his wife is just furious. It's like, I'm being chased. By Russian criminals. Look, and like, and he's all bloody when he shows up. And it's very he's, obvious that he's in danger and that so is she. Right. And she's like, I can't believe you didn't call me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? He's a private investigator. Yeah. And it's also kind of like, I get it. Okay, so maybe Nicholas. What did Cage, you say? Occupational hazard. It's an occupational hazard. Like, you've got to know this at some point. But they have arguments about like, oh, I thought you said you were going to stop smoking. Oh, I haven't been smoking. I can't believe you lied to me. Like, that was the mm-hmm. whole first half of the movie. Right. Stupid. Honestly, I mean, he was better off protecting her and not letting her know about the snuff film because I don't think she would have been able to handle that. Yeah, I guess. Maybe that's what he was doing. He didn't tell her anything because he was protecting like, her. This is but like, like really disturbing. But you don't want to hear about it. But it's your wife. You, you yeah, gotta but tell then her. that puts her in danger because... If she knows about it, then she's an accomplice. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. So he. It doesn't matter. This movie doesn't matter. So he also. None of these so he also calls and, and tells the old bitch everything, and he shows up to the old bitch's house later that Stop night. Stop calling her that. <laughs> she's like, she's like a sweet old lady. <laughs> so, so he shows up to the old bitch's house. Stop calling her. And the the butler answers the door and he's like, Oh, you haven't heard. But the the old the old bitch <laughs> <laughs> killed herself just a few hours ago. You're the worst. And she left you all this money and she left all this money for the victim of the of the film. The yeah. the family of the victim. Yeah. So Nick Cage goes crazy. He flies out to LA. He ambushes James Gandolfini and he takes Gandolfini to where the movie was filmed where the original eight millimeter was filmed and he starts interrogating him and he has a couple of great screams as he's tying it's like an abandoned yeah. house with graffiti all over it. yeah it's actually kind of like a cool set like yeah. you know if you were to take away the plot of the movie like it's kind of a cool set yeah but he has a few he has a few great screams as he's tying james gandolfini up and he just says things like So he's pointing the gun at James Gandolfini and, and Gandolfini's all like, you won't kill me. You won't use your own gun to kill me. And and, and this is like a great scene from, oh, great. from Tony Soprano. And, and Nick too. And Nick. So Nick. <laughs> he like licks the gun. Yeah, yeah. He points the gun at, at Gandolfini's mouth and, and he's like, ah, you wouldn't do it. He's like, shoot me. You won't. You don't have the guts. So what Nick Cage does instead is he goes outside to his car and he calls the victim's mother, who had kind of a weird relationship. They're a little touchy and flirty, I thought. And he calls her, and he tells her everything about how, you know, your daughter passed away. You know, your daughter was killed. They buried the body. I, you, I thought you'd want to know kind of thing. And it gets like, they start crying and moaning at the same time. And it gets like a little sexual... So you have something to say about I do. This. So I don't know what to think of this. I'm curious what you say when okay. I read this. Okay. I didn't know if I was going to include it because I wasn't sure if you were going to talk about that scene. But yeah. now that we're here, why not include okay. it? All right. Well, we can always cut it out. All right. So it says the scene where Marianne's mother breaks down and cries on the phone to Nicolas Cage was filmed in a small room in the same house from earlier in the film. And it was done in two takes. This was one of the final scenes to be shot in the film. Cage was wired to a phone in the other room, talking mm-hmm. to her the whole time. Okay. After the second take, the woman who plays the mother was so unnerved by the experience that she asked the director to tell her that this would never happen to me in my life. The director called her a basket case. Okay. And then gently picked her up and okay. carried her away. And Nick Cage watched. <laughs> such a weird interaction (laughs) and and maybe there's more to the story that we don't know but yeah i can't find any but it's it's again it's like we were talking about earlier it's kind of like how do you find that balance between like 
kind of pampering your stars so that you get a good performance out of them and being like, I totally understand. This will never happen to you. Or being like, you're an adult. You're an actor. You're playing a different character. You have to know this by now. Right. But, you know, I don't know. It's a But it was probably so emotional also for her because he was like actually on the phone with her. Yeah. And it's, it's. I always wonder how Mm -hmm. those scenes go because we were talking last week in Snake Eyes. Obviously, it wasn't an emotional scene, but Nick Cage was supposed to be on the phone with his wife and then also his girlfriend, and it was just so unbelievable. Like You knew that he was not actually on the phone with anybody. No one responds that quickly for him to be able to talk back Like so with no time in between. It just made no sense. It's like, did you get the documents? Okay, great. Bye. (laughs) You got to leave some Did you get the documents? Okay, great. No, why would you say that? Oh, I can't believe you would say that. What an interesting story. What is wrong with you? I can't believe it. Oh, okay. Sounds good. See you later. (laughs) Right. And I think even within this movie, that is a good phone acting scene because they're on the phone with each other. But there's scenes earlier where he's talking to the old bitch Mm, where he's doing that same thing. He's just like, okay, great. Bye. The kind old woman. She is a kind old widow, but still old bitty. (laughs) Ye old bitty. Ye old bitty. So he, James, so anyway, after this whole phone call and they're crying, he goes back in and he beats Gandolfini to death. He doesn't shoot him. He beats him to death. And then he takes all of the stuff that was in Gandolfini's car, all these other snuff films and things, and throws it in the building and burns the building down. Apparently, so he beats him with the other end of his gun. Yeah, like he, he pistol whips him. He didn't want to. Yeah, he pistol whips him because he doesn't want the bullet to, you know, come back to him if anyone ever finds the body. Right. Uh, apparently, that was the scene that they originally had filmed him beating him to death. And then decided not to include it to avoid an NC-17 rating. Oh, wow. So this movie's rated R, even though it's incredibly graphic and disturbing. Like, we didn't touch on most of it, but while he's searching for other snuff films, we unfortunately get to watch some snuff films. Yeah. I mean, it's revealed that it's fake and... and Still. Yeah. (laughs) And obviously it's fake because... Obviously all of this is fake. Right. Because it's a movie. Right. But regardless, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. To handle. Definitely. Definitely. So Nick Cage gets back on a plane. He finds himself back in New York City because now the Russian guy died in the shootout. The lawyer died in the shootout from before. He just killed James Gandolfini. So now there's one one guy left, the machine, that he stabbed. So he's calling all these New York City hospitals. Hey, have you found anybody with an abdominal wound? Exactly. So he he tracks down the guy who's living with his mother in new york or long island whatever wherever and he's kind of stalking the house in like i don't know if he's wearing a long overcoat or not but he's he's got like the matrix sunglasses on it's such a 90s sunglasses they're like little ovals that Mm -hmm. go around your eyes they're kind of back in now are they really they are for women not for men oh okay thank god well Maybe mm-hmm. for men, too. Wow. Okay. Still, I don't know about those sunglasses. I look back at old pictures of me with sunglasses like that, and I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. One day they'll be cool again. I guess. I don't know. I wonder when, um, in middle school, I had really big uh, plastic, like white plastic sunglasses with black shades. You yeah. know what I mean? I, wonder, I think so. I wonder if those will ever be back in. I hope not. Mm-hmm. Not a good look. <laughs> <laughs> so 90s. And I poofed my hair up. It wasn't oh. the 90s. Wow, revealing your age. Fine. <laughs> it was the 80s. <laughs> yeah. So Nick Cage is, is at this guy's house where he's living with his mother. He waits for the mother to leave and goes into the house through the basement. And this is actually like this scene really builds a lot of suspense because the guy is listening to this kind of like death metal music and the record ends and it's just this kind of almost like a heartbeat. It's this regular scratching of the of the record. So Nick Cage is looking all around for the house for this guy. He's got a gun with a silencer on it, and he's just going to fucking kill this guy. And guy comes out of nowhere. They have a quick tussle. They fall out a window, mm-hmm. which was crazy. And, of course, it's raining out, which was what Hannah alluded to earlier. Yes. <laughs> Cold as an icicle. Yeah. So they have, you know, they're fighting back and forth. Of course, the gun gets knocked out of his hand. They stab each other, and he ultimately... I guess stabs him to death, and Nick Cage ends up at the hospital after the yeah, hospital. Yeah, he says the, the he takes the mask off. 
Oh, yeah. We should talk about that yeah. a little bit. He says something pretty disturbing. <laughs> Which Just, part Nick in is particular? like, why did you do it? And he's like, because mm. I can. Yeah. Or something. And yeah. he's, you know, he takes his mask off and it's just like a guy. Yeah. Like he, he and, and so the machine says to Nick, he's like, I bet you expected like a monster or something. Right. But he's like, what's the scariest thing about me is that I'm just like a normal looking guy. Yeah. And, and like, he right. said, and he's like, I have no reason to do this other than I can. Oh, because right. Yeah. He was like, I was never molested yep. as a child. I've never been abused. Yep. I just can. Yep. It's like, that is horrifying. Right. Right. <laughs> So uh, after he very quickly is in and out of the hospital, he makes his way back to his house or the cabin, wherever his wife is, and he's just crying, and he hugs his wife, and he goes, Save me. <laughs> As he's crying. Yeah, it was, it was pretty melodramatic. Yeah, and then I guess a few days go by because he's out in his front yard. He still has a scar on his face, though. Yeah, yeah, but he's, he's out in his front yard. He's raking his leaves, and uh, mailman drops off a letter from... The victim's mother saying hey thanks for finding everything and he just smiles at Catherine keener through the glass window and credits roll yep and that's that that is that so i have a few closing thoughts i'm curious if you have any other closing thoughts yeah. of course we already talked about why is this movie rated so low i think it's just because people hate on joel <laughs> joel schumacher could be yeah it was the like most it was the con- movie consecutive to uh, the Batman movie that he, mm. that he directed. There was nothing in between the two. Oh, wow. That's probably why. Yeah. People were just so upset with that Batman movie yeah. that they went and... Also, the first half of the movie is really unnecessary. It's really boring so. and, unnecessary. and unnecessary, yeah. Uh, yep, and that's my second closing point, is that the first half is boring and, and replaceable, quite honestly. And then my third point we, we didn't mention, but most of the music... In this movie is like this oh, whining Indian or Arabian it. music with like <laughs> sitars. Headache, and, honestly. Like, I don't know why they did that. It was kind of a weird choice. Maybe the director that was... raved about it. I read it on, on IMDb. Oh, really? He loved it. He oh, thought boy. that it really went with the mood. Yuck. In Hollywood. Yuck. We hate that shit. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for me. Any other closing thoughts? No, I like I said. Um, Never watch it again. No interest in watching this movie again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it was interesting for the time, but I agree. I would, I would never really watch it again willingly. Okay, should we do some Nicolas Cage awards? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, best supporting actor. We already talked about that. A little cute little baby. The baby's name was Cinderella, by the way. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure whose decision that was. Bad choice, but they made up for it because the baby they cast. Man, cute she baby. was very cute. Should we talk about Bird Box? Why? <laughs> because the baby should have been named Cinderella in Bird Box. Wow, forgot about that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in the movie Bird Box with Sandra Bullock, <laughs> the whole point of the movie is that she has to take care of these two children, and not, until she's safe, she won't even name the children. That's how paranoid she is. So she calls them boy and girl. But the girl we find out is not her own child. It's somebody else's child. And that other person... Her dying wish. Her dying wish was, I want to name my child Cinderella. I know it's cheesy, but I love Disney movies, and that's what I want to name my daughter. She dies. And then when Sandra Bullock is handing out new names for these kids, she doesn't give the girl the name of Cinderella. She's like, oh, I named you after your mother, who was like the bravest person I knew. It's like, no, bitch. <laughs> name her Cinderella. Fuck. <laughs> Cindy's fine. Ella is great name. Rella. Rella is a weird one, but sure, fuck it. Drella. Drella. <laughs> ah, it's so frustrating. Got to the end of Bird Box, and I was like, yeah, it was a fun movie. And I was like, what are you doing, Sandra Bullock? Anyway, that's Best Supporting Actor was a little baby. <laughs> <laughs> that little baby. Yeah, I think Best Dressed is going to be an easy award to give out. <laughs> sunglasses. <The> sunglasses <laughs> from the last scene in the movie. The yeah. worst He's wearing scene. a suit in most scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Worst Nicolas Cage scene. First half of the movie? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I don't think we have to pick anything in particular. The whole first half of the movie. The whole first half of the movie. <laughs> Best Nicolas Cage scene. Is it the scene in the warehouse where he, the, the shootout and he has all those screams? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good scene. That's a great scene. Yeah. Uh, the best Nicolas Cage scream. 
you small time small time motherfuckers <laughs> yeah that is a good one i don't know it's not like the biggest blood curdling scream it's a good scream though. but it's just kind of a funny phrase you know and... you small time motherfuckers <laughs> <laughs> yeah let me see if there's anything I lo- else i, I don't this. think so yeah. these screams never get old for me <laughs> okay and then finally the most nouveau shamanic moment it's a really good question i don't know i was hoping that there'd be something behind the scenes that we could give it to there's really not much. Oh, how about at the end when he's crying? Oh. It says, save me. Yes, absolutely. It's that. <laughs> save me. Okay, good. All right, well, that's going to do it for our Nicolas Cage Awards. Now we have the daunting task of ranking this movie amongst mm. the previous 32, 33 movies that we've seen so far. So the other 22% of Rotten Tomatoes, or close to 22%, you said was Firebirds? Critically acclaimed Firebirds? Yeah, absolutely. I can reorganize the list and let you know. The um, Apache helicopter. Oh my god! It was it was a commercial boy. for the Apache helicopter. The movie was terrible. We have a towards- no. You don't need to. Uh, I I don't need you to do that. I just okay. wanted to make that comment. Gotcha. I see. So, what movie do you think this is maybe the most like? I think in tone. In his. His performance. Yeah. In tone, this movie is probably most like a Leaving Las Vegas or a Red Rock West, Mm, mm -hmm. where it's very serious. He's very kind of low key, even though he's, yeah, he's a little bit more high key in Leaving Las Vegas, but it's a heavy content. Yeah. As far as his performance, it's very subtle until the end when he screams a lot, but they're necessary Mm -hmm. screams. Yeah. I would compare that to maybe I thought he, I mean, I thought he did a good job in this movie. Yeah. I would compare kind of that progression of his character to something like a honeymoon in Vegas. In the beginning of honeymoon in Vegas, he was very kind of normal and subdued. And then towards the end, he just goes absolutely crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's actually a very different movies, but that's a good good comparison in terms of his performance. Okay. So honeymoon in Vegas is number 12 on our list. So just above that is the rock and just above that or just below that is birdie. So it goes the rock number 11, Honeymoon in Vegas, number 12, and then Birdie, number 13. I think I'd put it above Honeymoon in Vegas. How about The Rock? Probably below, no, below. The Rock. I think between The Rock and Honeymoon in Vegas. I, I'm, I'm on board with that. I think, yeah. I think based on everything we've said, you know, it, good performance. Yeah, I mean, Not super solid. cagey, like, but, you know. We yeah. said the problem with the movie isn't the actors. It's got a stellar cast. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so all right. Well, that's going to do it for that next week. Next week, we're watching, as we said a few times already, again, Bringing Out the Dead. Don't really know much about it. Scorsese. Scorsese movie. That should be fun. Cool. So join us next week for that movie. Cool. Should Any be, other thoughts, Anne? Um, no, let's go watch a comedy or something because <laughs> right. I'm like really deeply disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hear a funny podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and listen. What are what do we say were our favorite ones? I gave a friend some recommendations oh, the other day. Uh, Wild at Heart. Peggy Sue got married. Yeah. Uh, what was the one that you freaked out on <laughs> that absolutely destroyed you? I think it was Peggy, it was Peggy Sue. Sue. Yeah. I love Never on Tuesday. Never on Tuesday is a fun one. It's short. Yeah. Yeah. I think I said that. I was like, if you're looking for a fun short podcast, listen to Never on Tuesday. If you're yeah. looking for like a really funny one, listen to Wild at Heart. <laughs> Wild at Heart or Peggy Sue. Or yeah. Peggy Sue. Great. All right, and now you know why the Nick Cage bird sings. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care. Nicholas, 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 Nichol